and welcome to today's podcast, Why Mental Health and Substance Abuse Programs Are on Employers' Minds and How You Can Help Them. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website, hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you're a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, we would like to bring you a word from our sponsor, Magellan RX. Magellan RX is a full-service, next-generation PBM and pharmacy solutions expert that can unlock the possibilities to solve your most complex pharmacy challenges in today's rapidly evolving healthcare environment. They connect customers and members to the people, technology, and information they need to make smarter healthcare decisions and achieve better outcomes, leading humanity to healthier and more vibrant lives. Today we have Julie Miller, CEO of Custom Design Benefits, an innovator who has been delivering cost containment solutions to employers since 1983 and was one of the early proponents of reference-based price programs to talk to you about her experience of deploying mental health and substance abuse programs for her organization and self-funded employer customers. Today on our podcast, you will learn why should you care about mental health and substance abuse programs, how to make these programs more successful, some good data on uptake, usage, and challenges to overcome in offering these programs to employers. Let's dig in. Julie, it's so wonderful to have you on our podcast today. And I've been a fan of yours, the work you've done in terms of bringing innovation to the self-funded employer market. Why don't you tell our audience about your journey and why we should listen to you today? Thanks, Ramesh. It's good to join you, and I appreciate it. I don't know if anybody should really listen to me, but I will tell you that my journey started while I was actually attending school. I worked for a what's called a PSRO, Professional Standards Review Organization, which was a physician-run nonprofit organization that was responsible for the early days of managing Medicare and Medicaid. So we were doing pre-certification, case management, second surgical opinions. And this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. We had nurses actually physically in these hospitals in an eight-county area. So that's kind of how I got hooked into the whole healthcare arena and cost containment. Out of there, we actually started then a for-profit TPA to take the whole cost containment area to the private employers. 
So that was brand new. And so we started a TPA up in uh, 1983. We knew everything about the cost containment side, but we didn't know anything about the TPA side and paying claims. Those were fun days. So we had to find a system and basically put in all processes and procedures. And our very first client had 8,000 employees. So that is very unusual for a startup and for a um, TPA. Uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So mm-hmm. we, and, and the whole thing was all about innovation and creativity of finding solutions. That's kind of where my passion is, helping employers finding solutions. And so after about 20 years with that TPA, joined Custom Design Benefits, and, and I've been here for 18 years. We're known for yeah. innovation and working directly with employers. It's yeah. just a passion. Oh, this is great. I can hear it in your voice, the passion for bringing that innovation you know, you have a tremendous experience. I've known this in the industry as well. You brought RBP pretty early on in the market to self-funded employers. You've done a whole bunch of things pretty early on. Maybe if you could paint a picture of what are the approaches you've taken to manage risks and costs for self-funded employers? You know, we're a self-funded employer too. So we've always made it our practice to first implement any of our solutions into our own plan. So reference-based pricing, we've been at that for over 10 years. And direct primary care, we have that into our own plan. We recommend that near-site clinics, population health management. We do reference-based pricing for non-specialty drugs. And then the newest thing is alternate funding for specialty drugs. So by us putting it in, we're able to work out the kinks and make sure that we have sound processes in place with our partners and before we roll it out to our clients. And that gives us the opportunity to speak from a firsthand about the experience that we have. So I like that approach. If you're out there and you're recommending something, it's great if you've been through it yourself and you can see the impact that it's had on your own self-funded plan. And you have that conviction then. So you take something to your customer, like, you know, this is working and then you can be really behind it. Oh, yes, very much so. And not all these solutions are good for all employers. So that's where you need to really kind of work and with that particular employer and know what's happening inside of their plan. So let's maybe dig into the today's topic a little bit around Mental health, substance abuse is kind of very much in the middle of these conversations with employers and brokers. What are you doing at Custom Design Benefits for mental health programs and what type of programs? And maybe before you jump into that, why even this topic is interesting and important for us to discuss and debate? Everybody listening to this, I think, has someone either close or within their circle that has been impacted by mental health or substance abuse. In my small circle, I know of two young people who have committed suicide, actually even more than that if I go back further. And we all have been touched by people who have suffered from mental health issues. And COVID just exasperated everything. And so about two years ago, 
we actually started like anticipated and looking for what we could do to address mental health and substance abuse. So what we did is we added the mental health component of our existing consultadoc telehealth program to our own employees. And we made it available to all employees and their family members, not just those that enroll in our self-funded plan. And then, and this is probably the most important thing that we did, is we marketed the heck out of it to our employees because there's still this hole, and it's one of the biggest challenges that we all have to address this issue is the whole stigma around it. It was a slow start because we get monthly reports of not personal identification, but just overall as it being used. So it was a kind of a slow start, but then it started picking up for our own employees. And we just literally every month, we keep it in front of people. So we started seeing some usage. The response from our own employees has been very, very positive. What level of usage are you seeing in your own population, let's say? In our own population, and this probably what, in working with our partner, found that it mirrors it. We've seen like an annual utilization rate of over 215%. Each person that is using the service as the average visits, what I would say, is like 67 67% of the families, which this one kind of surprised me, the 67% of our families are actually using the mobile app, mm-hmm. uh, which comes with it. And 80% of the people using it are actually using the visualization component of it so that the provider and them are seeing each other. So that one, I was really excited to see that. And we took it a step further and we said part of telehealth is what would you have done had you not had this service available? 80% of them said they would have tried to to get in to see a therapist or a psychologist, but 20% wouldn't have done anything. Mm. And unfortunately, and I think most people can look at their own communities. You can't even get in, even if you, the 80% that said that they would go seek care, you can't get in to see I mean, it's like months to get in. And if you have a substance abuse issue, our local, they said, oh, we we can't get anybody in for two weeks. I mean, that's the reality. That's what we're all dealing with. We have a shortage and then people not even being able to locate a provider that they can get in to see. That's, I think probably the reality with most people. So what's the approach you have taken then? I guess there's shortage, there's a need. What are the approaches you've taken to make this more successful? You touched on communicating. We analyze, obviously, we take a look at each client and we say, okay, we're starting to see this escalating in their healthcare. And so we're out there on a quarterly basis with clients reviewing their data and kind of talking about what their issues are. And this is when we start introducing them. We have a lot of other type of programs that are available, but I am a big believer in the making the telehealth available. Oh, and by the way, this is a key component. It is free for employees. 
it's a hundred percent. There is no copay. There's no need for them to put in a credit card. So we eliminate, you got to eliminate all these barriers to that care. I think that is a key. There's a lot of telehealth programs out there, but most of them do require the employee to pick up a copay part of it. That's a barrier. Personally, I think it's a barrier to care. First of all, some people don't even have credit cards. Two, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So you're really not able to provide them with the care they need. So the employer is paying a higher capitated rate. We were willing to do that in exchange for free access to this care. So let's break it down a bit more. I heard telemedicine. Is it telepsychiatry or this is more general kind of visits just so that the audience understands? The one that we use when you sign on, there are psychologists, there are therapists, there's there's physicians that specialize in substance abuse. So you actually can pick and then you get to set when you want to meet with them. With mental and, and substance abuse, you are needing to go there. It's not always convenient for your time. I think it just makes it more convenient and people being able to select their provider. I think that's probably why we saw so much of the visualization with a physician because they had read about them and they had picked them. Got it. So they they have a complete control over what type of expert physician they are connecting with, whether it's a psychologist, psychiatrist, substance Mm -hmm. abuse. And it's zero copay, zero deductible. And they have it in their privacy of their own bedroom that they can access this through. So how about for the employer? You said the employer pays a little bit more uh, on a capital rate. What's the kind of typical they have to pay for this? Like normal telehealth is around $5.50. And you typically add probably 2 to $3 onto that. Okay. So it's about $7.50 roughly, let's say, which includes telehealth and all the other kind of services. Yeah. And when you sign up for it, you especially for the mental health portion of it, you kind of complete a little questionnaire about your needs. And then those are the providers that specialize in that particular area. Those are the providers that come up to you that you can then select. Got it. This is wonderful. So it's not a huge on a capitated basis, you talked yeah. about pretty much 215% usage, six and a half times per member that was actually using it. What's been the uptick? Some of those numbers were for your employee population. As you rolled it out across your book of business, what's been the uptake on an aggregate basis? Do you have any data that you can share? Not right now. It is new. The whole telehealth and the mental substance abuse area is newer. And so we just probably in the last year rolled it out. Now we have an annual client conference and we just had our 14th annual. Our employers, they are in tune to the whole mental health and a substance abuse area. One of our highest rating, the number one speaker was a doctor that presented on addiction in the workplace, challenges employers may not know they have. And it was just absolutely 
fascinating. And the interest in that was incredible. Dr. Mark Winsett, he's the medical director of The Ridge, which is our local substance abuse treatment provider that we partner with. He just presented all the challenges that exist, especially with employer healthcare plans around the whole area of mental health and substance abuse treatment. The follow through on that has been traumatic. So that's going to be really what we are focusing on. Reference-based pricing, yes, we still focus on that. That's available. Focusing on the whole specialty prescription side, population health management in general, and nearsight clinics, direct primary care, all those are important. But the emerging one, I think that is you have to address. You have to address this whole area, especially because of all the work at home that has just been exasperating any kind of substance misuse. I just read this article, which is the opiate crisis amid COVID-19. 2021 future of benefits study that was produced by the Hartford Insurance Company. This kind of just shocked me. I was reading this and it said it revealed that 52% of U.S. employers are experiencing significant or severe workplace issues due to substance misuse or addiction among their employees. So Mm -hmm. that exists. um, And I think the challenges that employers have, we have to overcome them. You know, challenge number one is the whole stigma. Yeah. So this is like you're saying the challenge for employers to promote it to their employees and make sure there's no stigma attached to it. Yes, and it's a heavy lift, but they have to start somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Number one, and basically, you know, um, Dr. Winsett went through, he said, challenge number one is definitely the the stigma. Unfortunately, especially addiction is still viewed as some kind of a character flaw, not the disease that it is. So you have to have an employer that agrees with that science. Challenge number two, I think, which is stops employers is just plain old ignorance and saying, we don't have that problem here. In fact, yeah, 15 to 17, I think, percent of employees misuse substance abuse. And I think that's an old statistic from the Bureau of Labor. Uh, So think about COVID and working from home and the availability, especially of alcohol, alcoholism is much greater And then people that just ignore the problem, or if you have a zero tolerance policy, that's really stopping you, right, from addressing it as a disease. I've seen the data as well, where across a number of groups, the broad category of mental health is quite prominent. A lot of people are impacted by it in different ways. And the second thing that I would just add to this is, benefit consultant that we are talking to, it has become number one because the employers are talking and asking about this. It may vary by demographic to demographic, whether it's what kind of population, where they are located and what specific challenges are in the population. But benefit consultants also, it's number one of the top items on their agenda for this year and next year. So I think it is very prominent And as you said, the question is, how do you turn all of that need 
into an actual program or an action. And then how do you promote it to get people to use it? That's, that's always the bigger challenge is yes, these programs exist and you have a willing employer that says, yes, we acknowledge, we know people are suffering out there. And we see it, by the way, it pops up. I mean, literally in this last year where you look at the top 20 conditions with each employer and you're looking at that. And then all of a sudden shooting up at the top five are all related to mental health and substance abuse. So it's just like, it's just moving right up there to the top. You just have to keep promoting it. It's not something you can put in and walk away from. Every quarter, every month, every six months, what's your cadence you're thinking we do every month because we like for our own employees we do an internal newsletter and literally there is a page devoted every month to the benefit and reminding people that it is 24 7 it's available it's free it's for all of your family members it doesn't have to be it could be anybody living in your house that can use this to me you have just got to keep it in front of people Yeah, it's quarterly is not going to do it because people need to know that there's something out there because they're going through something. Something happens, happens or they in their own family and a relative and a close friend and they just need someone to to be there. And that's why I just I just I'm a big fan just to press on that thinking further, I, mean, I like that. But do you find is newsletter enough? Do you need to have it through your benefits team, call center, nurse lines, wherever the member is touching you, you're promoting it, whether it's through mobile or whatnot? What I was talking about in terms of it was our own employees, like our own personal employees are on it. But we do for our nurses that we have here on site, employers that implement any type of program, if we get any kind of a call or anything, we are just reminding them we're getting them enrolled. There's a whole communication program around it. And employers, obviously, then we get provide them with information to incorporate into mechanisms that they already have in place. So we work with our broker consultants, you know, to really kind of say, okay, what's going to work for that, Mm. for that employer. Once they actually enroll in telehealth, which there's this whole effort to get people enrolled, then your provider actually sends out, sends out reminders themselves to kind of say, hey, this benefit's available. And, and so it's a multi, multi multi-pronged approach. And it's not a one and done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's great. That's great. I suspect sometimes it's a bit hard to control what the employer is able to do or through the broker. You know, we often hear you really have to not just make it easy, provide them the information. Sometimes you may not have the direct communication link as well with the employee population of that customer client. And that way you're starting to eliminate the stigma around it. That is not going to be like a one and done. 
I think there's been so much with a lot of the athletes this past year that has really moved it ahead. And I also read, which was kind of an interesting stat, that employees are much more open now. This is on a positive note. Employees are more comfortable seeking employers' help. And the acceptance rate has gone from like 38% to now 45%. That's a positive movement that is happening. Um, You know, 59, actually, it was kind of a sad or a scary statistic. It was the percentage of workers who have reported some type of a mental health by generation. So you have your boomers who are typically, we shove it down and don't identify it. That was like 22%. And it starts going up. And then you see Generation X at 36%. And then you see millennials at 59%. And then Generation Z at 71%. So the younger your population, the more they're willing to say, yes, I need help. And then seek help through something that an employer is providing. I think that's all positive. Oh, that's phenomenal. Twice is more likely. That's great. That's phenomenal. It really is. And so just look at your population. And if you get something out there, especially for the younger population, they will use it. And that's what I found in my own employee population. Got it. The, The usage was by the younger population. Got it. So maybe you're touching on a very important point demographically and the acceptability. What's the role of data in this as you think about these programs, whether it's to sell to the employer, whether it's to promote it to the employees, whether it's to make the economics work for the employer? What is the role of the data in all of this? That's Well, you always got to start there. That's kind of where I'm at. You've got to analyze the extent of the issue within each of your clients' population, take a look at the demographics of the population, identify those high-quality resources that are available to address it, and then you just got to really have those conversations with the employer to see where is their interest in addressing it. And, you know, and there are some employers that will stay ignoring the problem. There will be, you know, they've got other issues that they're addressing, but those that really see this and see it in their own population, having those kind of decisions and bringing them a solution, that's what we do, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So being able to use the data to see what's happening in the population, being able to then promoted to the right people in the population. And then so data becomes key across the continuum of this care. Then you do what you normally measure what is working, what is effective. And then for us, for people that really need intensive detox services, and then they need to go on a continuum. You can't just like detox someone and send them back. You really need to make sure that they're in a long-term program that stays with them and the success rate goes up dramatically, especially in the the substance misuse area, as you stay with that patient. Mm -hmm. That's what our nurses focus on is what is available, 
locally and then to make sure that we're able to get them into day treatments or hook them up with the right types of resources. Mm -hmm. And luckily in our local community, there are new facilities opening up because a year ago, I would tell you there aren't beds available. There isn't anything available. And now we're starting to see more of these people getting the appropriate care. This is great. This has kind of really opened my eye on a lot of different ways to think about this, the different programs. If you're an employer out there listening to this, what steps should they take to get down this path of supporting their employees with these appropriate programs or a benefit consultant or TPA listening to this? I always start with, is there an issue? Like what we were talking about, kind of looking at that population, doing potentially employee surveys. You can do anything like that. I know that's kind of a little tough to do that, but really to kind of get feedback. But HR staffs, they know what's going on in their populations and managers do. So you kind of need to get really a team approach. And I think once you have that true team that's committed to address it, then you just continue with it. You try different things and I think employers just need to step back and just look inside of their own company and say, do they think they have this an issue or a need? It's probably a need that is not being addressed, that is impacting their workforce, because there's lots of stats on the additional cost to an employer for an employee that is experiencing mental health distress. They're not able to get the care they need. I think it's like $3,000 more in healthcare services. And then the loss, I know it was a lot higher. I was like, oh gosh, that number kind of shocked me. And then lost days of work averaged like $4,800 per year. As I dug into this, it was shocking to me. If you don't address it and you are just, especially if you have a zero tolerance and you're just letting people go think about the cost it takes to replace and train an employee I didn't even pull that one out but that's even a larger number people need help it's no different than if someone has a heart attack or they have diabetes or we have all kinds of care wrapped around that and I think we just need to step back and say mental health and substance misuse is no different that's a pretty substantial number, the additional costs that the employer incurs otherwise. So maybe one of my last questions here is, aside from reaching out to you, if an employer decides that, yes, we need to do this, what are the other places they could go to if they want to deploy a program or evaluate programs? Any particular companies that you recommend? What are your suggestions on the next steps there? Well, our telehealth partner is consult a doctor and they use the teledoc platform, but their job is to increase the utilization. So that's kind of where we already had a longstanding partnership with them and their utilization for people using it in our model, which is a free, uh, you know, no copay model was like 70 to 80% because they had all kinds of things to get people enrolled. So that's where we started 
So we had a trusted partner and I'm sure the brokers and TPAs that are out there probably already have a trusted partner in the whole telehealth arena. I would always start there and say, okay, what are you doing in the area of mental and substance abuse health? What are you offering? And most of them do. They are definitely addressing it. This is great. So how can people reach you, connect with you? Customdesignbenefits.com. And my email is uh, jmuller at Custom Design Benefits. Wonderful. Well, this is great. Julie, really appreciate you taking the time and talking through why this is such an important topic for employers to pay attention to. And so there you have it. Uh, If they want to reach out to you, they can reach out to you to see maybe you can help them with the programming. So thank you for taking the time today. Thank you, Ramesh. And we'll all be following this and watching the whole, how we all react to this disease and what it's doing to our society. So pretty excited about that. We are actually addressing it. Well, that's true. Well, thank you for doing that too. And I would like to thank our sponsor, Magellan Rx, the sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people and tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on coming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, Saki Point Health.